The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 277, uh, broadcasting live on Wednesday. Uh, what the hell is today? March 4th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, gaming, pro wrestling, and entertainment. As the warning said at the top of the broadcast, listener and viewer discretion is advised. All right, so as you can see, we have no video for this week, unfortunately. Uh, The guys at GFQ, um, Andrew's on vacation, so no idea how we were going to get set up. But in any event, we do have a live show. So video, of course, will be uploaded to our YouTube channel, of course, for Rageworks and for My Take Radio. Uh, One thing I did notice is uh, we had an upgrade to our camera software so I think there's going to need to be a little bit more editing since the picture seems to be a little a little too washed out for my liking I definitely feel like uh we got to turn that down a bit and um we'll get it figured out in any event what is on deck for tonight Ben's going to be joining us to talk some MMA we're going to talk about the week's wrestling news and a ton of other stuff I did want to give you guys a couple of updates before we get the ball rolling Um, I did decide on a forum that we're going to test out, and I'm going to be trying to do a live version of it this weekend. I'm going to reach out to a couple of people to do some key testing for us. Uh, Who's going to be the lucky testers remains to be seen. Um, I will say, though, that, and this is something that took some time to figure out only because there's such a wealth of of other uh, forums out there, forum programs. So I wanted to make sure we had something that really, really worked. And um, you guys can use easily and with minimal issue. Of course, like with anything, there are some bugs that got to be worked out and we will see what the deal is. Um, In any case. What the hell? Huh? Really weird. What the hell is going on in the chat right now? Anyway. Like I said, all kinds of shit is going wrong this evening in any event. As I said, Ben's going to join us for MMA. We're going to get that ball rolling. And let's get to it, because clearly tonight's going to be one of those nights where nothing works right. So 
Let's get to it. As always, my Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite training gear, fighter gear, and other merch at MMAWarehouse.com. Definitely look for other banners there. Um, look for them on our site on RageWorks.net with promo codes and specials as well. As always, if you have any questions about the banners, please remember just to turn off your ad block. Uh, we do have those on the site. They do help pay the bills. They are not there to just collect information and be a nuisance. Um, like I said, they do help out. So click them if you can. Use the promo codes for MMA Warehouse to get the ball rolling. And uh, let's get to it. So this past weekend, of course, was the Invicta event. We had UFC 184. We had Bellator. We had a ton of MMA on deck. And um, the thing that got me about this weekend was that even though there were different things going on with regards to all the different promotions, all eyes were on the main event and co-main event of UFC 184. The ladies were front and center. Uh, bringing their brand of mayhem and violence to the cage. And while that was one big news story, the other, of course, was Invicta's event because, of course, Cyborg was fighting on that card and all eyes were on Cyborg and the fact that Dana White was there to see if she would be signed and a Ronda Rousey fight would be announced. Um, Unfortunately, you know, shit happens and um, nothing nothing came out of it which shocked me because, like I said, I expected um, Dana to make some sort of super fight announcement, but all signs are pointing to the inevitable collision course between Ronda Rousey and Chris Cyborg. Ben is going to join us. I've just been informed he's queued up, and we're going to get that rolling and see what Ben has to say about it. Big Ben, what's up? What's up, man? I don't know. It was a crazy weekend. Bellator, Invicta, the UFC... Um, I actually want to talk about Invicta first. Obviously, Cyborg pretty much decimating her opponent in 44 seconds, making a strong case, obviously, yeah. to challenge Ronda Rousey. And, um, you know, there's always the subject of weight cut being thrown about left and right. But I have a, a nagging suspicion that if you dangle the right monetary carrot, she's probably going to cut off at least one of her toes <laughs> to to get ready for the fight. Who knows? Maybe Maybe a finger to make the weight, but overall, what did you think about Invicta's card? I mean, I, I did check out the um, the Alexa Grasso fight, which, again, in, incredible technique there, and um, Cyborg and Tweets fight, I did get to see. Uh, what did you think of the card, and can, is their partnership with the UFC starting to pay off? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the card was good. Um, like like I said in uh, my breakdown, uh, Alexa Grasso uh, in a way fight, uh, was really good. Those are two girls that are probably, but they're both going to end up in the UFC um, at some point. Um, <clears throat> so, but uh, yeah, so uh, the card itself was good. Um, I think it is a good thing that they have a uh, some sort of the, the the partnership they have with the UFC. It, it allows them a platform to show uh, the cards are far better than what they had before. Right. So, <clears throat> like, I, I think it's a really good thing um, this partnership and. You know, there were some good fights. I mean, Cyborg absolutely destroying uh, Charmaine Tweet, uh, who I 
were completely unaware of uh, uh, Ronda Rousey and yes, Ronda Rousey's second uh, fight and got on board in like 30 seconds. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah, Cyborg looked good. Alexis Grazo looked good. Uh, Irene Aladonna looked good. Um, there was some, there was some good fights. Yeah, I feel that Invicta's uh, quality of fights is definitely stepping up. I'm starting to see a lot more. Um, just out of a card of, let's say, 10 fights, we'd usually say two out of the 10 were good. We're starting to see a better distribution of good fights on that card. And, of course, like I said, there was a lot of buzz because Dana White was there watching the fights. And, you know, obviously the, the, the big picture being Rousey and Cyborg. But... As a as an introductory event before the UFC, I think it was a good setup, and to a degree, I kind of felt that it it eclipsed Bellator, which was weird. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> Bellator's card wasn't horrible. It wasn't what it was going to be with Paul Daly fighting uh, Diego Lima and all that. But uh, right, I think to an extent, it really it did kind of uh, eclipse Bellator. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, you had the, the King Mo fight, King Mo versus Chet Congo fight, which I don't understand why fans were booing. Like, what, what the hell did they expect King Mo to do against somebody who weighed 30, 30 like 35 pounds heavier than Yeah, him almost 40 like pounds. Five inch, yeah, five inch height advantage. Like, what did, how did you expect him to fight? <laughs> Anyone every single round. But, uh, Unlike one of the judges who gave Chet Congo yeah. three rounds, which I don't even understand how you do that, but okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the Bellator card wasn't horrible, but yeah, I mean, the Invicta card was better. Um, just overall, be- a better card. J- just the Alexa, Alexa Grazo fight, Alexa Grazo fight was better than anything that was on the Invicta card. You mean the Bellator card? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Bellator card, excuse me. Yeah, it's all right. No, you know, you know what it is that got me. I, I watched the Bellator card. I DVR'd it and I started watching it, and I found myself fast forwarding more than I usually do. And it and it bothered me because you got to remember there was this all this fanfare about the British invasion, all this crazy stuff, and I'm like, all right, we're gonna get some crazy fights. You know, these British fighters come in, they're ready to do work, they're ready to bang, and again, the fight, the fights just felt very, very underwhelming. I mean. Emmanuel Newton lost his belt to Liam McGarry, and I'm like, all right, he lost. And it just, it wasn't like a shock loss or anything crazy. It was just like the Liam McGarry just fought a better fight. I don't know what that says yeah. about Emmanuel Newton. I'm not saying Emmanuel Newton is garbage, but I just felt that um, Emmanuel Newton definitely was being pushed a lot more than he really was. Like, if you compare Emmanuel Newton's title reign to you know any any title reign at 205 emmanuel newton might be like maybe number six or seven if he were in the ufc maybe eight yeah i mean emmanuel newton like he can fight right but like he wouldn't be anywhere near a title in the ufc like right like Liam mcgarry like i can legit see i mean outside of the fact that he have no idea how to stop a takedown. <laughs> um, he he, I would see him doing better in UFC than Emmanuel Newton. Like Emmanuel Newton is a borderline top twenty, like heavyweight that was fighting guys that were worse than him outside right. of King Mo. Which the King Mo fights, I think that was just a matchup thing. 
I don't I like straight up like I think King Mo is a more skilled martial artist, mixed martial artist than Emmanuel Newton. But I mean, yeah, they they had to push him. I mean, he had the belt like, and he kept winning. Right. <laughs> like you, you had no choice at that point. But I always felt that his push was exactly that—a push of necessity, not a push, to, not a push based on skill. Yeah, almost definitely. Like they, they, if they had their choice, King Mo would be their light heavyweight champion right now. Well, let's be let's be honest. They had poured all their eggs into the rampage basket, and we see how that went to the point where they want to take the guy to court. Yeah, yeah it'd be one of those two. Like if they, if it was up to them, it needs to be rampage or King Mo. Like that, right. that would be their light heavyweight champion. Yeah, and McGarry McGarry fought a good fight. He fought a smart fight. Um, like I said, one of the few high points on that card. And you know, moving into into UFC 184, a Bellator guy that fought in the UFC was Diego Lima. He took on Tim Means, and um, not a good day for Diego Lima. Yeah, he was not his brother. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, uh, Diego is not uh, Douglas Lima, or yeah, Douglas Lima. Like he's he's just he's not the next level athlete that his brother is. He's he's a good fighter, but his chin can be checked as it it was uh, by Tim Means fairly quickly in that fight. Um, so yeah, Tim Tim Means looked good, man. He that that was a sick elbow that he landed for the knockout. Like that was that was a really good knockout. And the thing that got me with that fight too, it's like it's not no disrespect to Tim Means either, but it's not like Tim Means was setting the rankings on fire to just come over and dismantle no. this guy, you know. And this goes back to the to what we were saying just now about Emmanuel Newton. You know, these Bellator guys they get into the UFC and some sink, some swim, but it, it it's and I hate to say that, but it's a different level of competition at that point. Yeah, most definitely. I mean. Diego Diego Lima's a good fighter, but he you know, like I said, he's clearly not his brother. But I mean, there's some Bellator fighters that I could see definitely doing a good job, like Douglas Lima, like uh like uh Michael Chandler, all those guys. Like I, I can I can actually see like I can see them being good, but there's a lot of them that you get results like this. Yeah, well that's the thing that gets me too. It's like you see these guys fight and you're like, Oh yeah, you know, these guys are going out there, they're putting in that work. And you know you want to you want to make sure that those guys are are doing what they got to do. But again, and like I said before, you're you're dealing with you're dealing with fighters that it's almost like I don't even want to say WWE and WCW because that would be a a very very far departure. But I just feel like Bellator isn't doing themselves any favors by kind of embracing the whole B league mentality. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not even, yeah. they're not striving to be, I, I understand that you're not going to go and try to go out of your way to be number one, but you shouldn't also be number four, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, like the Ken Shamrock, <laughs> uh, Kimbo slice fight. Like, I'm glad you brought that I up. I understand the use of that fight, but there's absolutely no reason that should be ever made. Nope. Like, there's there's zero reason that they need to make that fight. I mean, hell, having Tito Ortiz still fight, period, there's no reason that should be happening. I agree 100%. And I guarantee you, he's going to fight for the light heavyweight title. I guarantee you, at some point, in the very near future, he's going to fight for the light heavyweight title. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if they did that because, again, you got and, – and here's the crazy part. They, they're going to definitely try and get Liam McGeary to fight King Mo, see if King Mo can take that belt off McGeary, and then magically Tito's going to be challenging for the belt. Yeah. And if Tito is like to win the belt, like in the first 30 seconds, he's going to be saying he's the best white heavyweight in the world. Yep. Like he's just, ugh. <laughs> like Bellator just does things. He's like, do you really, do you really want that? And but, that's what I gets mean, me. They, they haven't. No, okay. No, they just, they've embraced the fact that they're number two and it's just weird. Well, dude, it's not even an embracing of number two because at least if they were embracing number two, they'd be going a little harder. It's like RFA, Legacy, hell, even Invicta are, are solidifying themselves as 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 more substantial number two promotions than Bellator is. You'd think that with a company that has deep pockets like Viacom, they'd go out of their way to improve, you know, just their presentation. You know, everything everything should be a little bit more, you know, upscale. That's not to say that these guys need full Titan Tron WWF style, WWE style entrances, but, you know, definitely start doing things to set yourselves apart just a smidge more. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really know what the business plan is for Bellator. Like I have no idea. Like it seems like they wanna be they want to be a B League, which is like the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've ever seen. Like it's just it's it's really weird to me. Like you do you want to be known as the B League? Yeah, they want to be like the best number two. <laughs> like like it's it's almost like they want to trick people. Like like people watch the Tito like the Tito Ortiz Stephen Bonafide did numbers, but it's only because people know their names. Right. Like the fight that was really worth watching on that fight the fight card was Michael Chandler and um crap, I forgot that light heavyweight chances name. Michael Chandler's fight. Like that was the fight that was worth watching. And unfortunately, oh, Will Brooks. And unfortunately, that was a that was a co-main event mm-hmm. behind a terri- mm-hmm. a terribly shitty fight. That fight was horrible. That, that was, was a co-main event in a freak watch. show fight. <laughs> yeah, like that, that <laughs> fight was horrible to watch. And the fact that that was the main event is just terrible. Well, you know, you know what the thing that gets me is that Bellator, like I said, deep pockets. Scott Coker's not a dummy. You know, Scott Coker did a good job with Strike Force. You know, you know when Strike Force was in its prime, it definitely was giving a, the UFC a run for its money with the cards it was it was giving us on Showtime. So to to yeah. say that Scott Coker doesn't know what he's doing is is insane. But it does make you question, like, dude, are you just are you just intentionally just tanking this place? I mean, supposedly he's doing a better job than Bjorn. Yeah, well. <laughs> Apparently nobody wanted to be there when Bjorn was there. So apparently he's doing a better job than Bjorn, but I don't know. Like it just it's weird the the mindset that they seem to have. Yeah, I wanted to uh, you know, just to kind of bring the Bellator thing full circle. That you know, Spike TV's embracing them for their whole, you know, Friday night fights block. So seeing that at least gives me hope that there's going to be some some improvement in the product. But I don't know if it's going to be improvement in the product for the sake of pushing, you know, their boxing or their their, you know, kickboxing offerings and just using Bellator as an anchor at that point because it's recognized. It's probably going to just be the anchor. Like, because 
like I, I kind of feel like, and, and I think it's really cool what they're doing. Um, the Friday Night Fights thing, when you like you could possibly have a glory card, a boxing card event, and like uh, Bellator. I think that's a really cool and novel idea. Just like Bellator is going to be the thing that brings people there, right? And then you know, then you'll have glory and you'll have boxing. Like I, I just, I just don't feel like Bellator. Not that I don't think it's a not a priority, but I don't think it's it's what they're hoping is the big deal in in that set. Well, of to, things. well, no, the the way you're painting it is true, and the reason I want to say that is if if you were if you remember when Bellator when uh, Spike TV had TNA Impact Wrestling, Impact Wrestling was the lead in for Bellator. Yeah, and you had King Mo and those guys trying to wrestle and all that shit, which whatever, <laughs> you know. But Bellator, <laughs> Bellator was the main product. TNA was the lead in. Now, essentially, Bellator is playing the role of TNA as the lead in for these other for these other promotions and for this other um, programming block. I mean, it's good if you want to try and get people to stick around and watch, you know, Glory and and the boxing, but you definitely are going to need to make Bellator step their game up because like anything else, if you got the people in, you could get them in. It's a matter of keeping them there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, it just all depends on how, how they plan on marketing this whole Friday night fights block and how, how they, how they plan on making it look. If it turns out that Bellator is just the MMA freak show at the end of kickboxing and boxing, then it's, it's pointless to me. Yep. Speaking speaking of which, you know, the Kimbo Slice, Ken Shamrock fight, when you brought that up, I said to myself, it's, by the time these guys fight, I, and this was crazy, um, Kimbo will be 41, Ken Shamrock will be 51. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ugh. no, like, th- this fight does not need to happen. Like, I mean, I, I guess it's novel... There's a very good chance Kimbo Slice is going to rip Ken Shamrock's face off. But, like, do we really need to see it, though? Like, is it something that we really need to see? I think, I think, and this and this is going to be crazy, I think Bellator's using this Kimbo-Ken Shamrock fight because they inevitably want to set up Tito and Ken in Bellator. Ugh. <laughs> you didn't think of that, did you? Like now, like no, I didn't. And like, and the thing is, the third fight was horrible. Exactly, and that was like fifteen years ago. Yep. <laughs> but just, but just let that in sink fact, in. All the last, to be perfectly honest, the last two times they fought weren't that great. Nope. Like, why would you want to do that now when Tito has no knees? And Ken Shamrock walks like one of his legs is four inches shorter than the other. Yep. Why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? Ugh. Yep. And, and no. I thought about. I thought about it because I said to myself, you know, you know what would sell, and I said the beef with Ken and Tito, because all those guys got to do is switch that back on. And again, it's going to be but, comical. But the thing is, like, who are you getting? Who? <laughs> who, are the, who are you trying to draw in? Because like fans that are my age. That a lot of the people that watch it, or um, some of the bigger fans that are my age, when we saw Tito and Ken fight, it was like the second or third fight, and it was horrible. Yep. Like nobody cares. It was post Ultimate like, Fighter. Like, 
Yeah, and my, like my dad, like <clears throat> my dad doesn't isn't a huge MMA fan, but he knows who Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock are. Right. Like, is that the type of fan you're trying to get? Like, he knows who <laughs> they are. Like, is that who you're trying to draw in? Like, who who are you trying to draw in with that fight? Well, I thought of this. It's like, yo, because y'all trying to... my age realizes they're old as shit. <laughs> well, I said this. It's like, yo, y'all trying to create an MMA Masters League? It's like Ken, Tito, Randy, Pat Militich, you know, um, it, it, all, all those guys, you know, the Hammer, Mark Coleman. I'm like, I'm like, is that where we're going? And it's it's just insane. It, it's insane. It's insane to me that, that that's kind of what it looks like. But it, it's also insane to me that I'm sure somebody in Bellator's management or somebody in Viacom is like, you know, we could probably get Tito and Ken in there one more time. And it, it, it's like it's like you ever seen that 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 little cartoon strip that makes its way around the Internet where everybody's sitting in the boardroom. And it's like, oh, what do you think we should oh, yeah, do for the yeah. next Bellator main event? And everybody's like, I don't know, maybe maybe Emmanuel Newton and and you know uh, King Mo with a number one qualifier, and then number two will be oh I don't know, maybe like a tournament, and then the number three guy will be Ken Tito main event. You just throw him out the window. <laughs> like that's yeah, like, exactly no, what it is. No, no, <laughs> hell yeah. no. There you go. I don't fig- do it. It's it's not necessary. Yeah, I figured I figured we'd uh we'd we that'd be a great way to close it out. But uh, on some more on some more ups uh, on a, on a higher note, you know the UFC 184 card as a whole was very very good. A lot of great fights. You know we were talking about the Diego Lima fight. I was shocked with the ending of the Kid Yamamoto fight. I was really looking forward to seeing that fight. Um, unfortunately, the eye pokes man end of the end of the line. Yeah. But um um, good. It's probably a lot. Well. I, I don't think this is going to be the last time we see Kid, but it might need to be. Like, he's – it sucks that Kid – it's weird calling him Kid because he's like a grown-ass man. Like, he's like <laughs> 30-something now. Like, it's weird calling him Kid Yamamoto. But it it sucks that his prime was so long ago. Like, a lot of American fans don't yep. – haven't seen what he was in, in K1 Heroes. He, he was – he was like for a long time. It was like we want Kid Yamamoto and Iran Faith. Like when I first started watching him, um, and first started started getting into Japanese MMA. But I mean, he's lost the step, and his style never really—he never was a real technical fighter to begin with. A lot of it was he was a freak athlete, and right. when you get older, that goes. And once that went, his technical flaws started showing. And, like, in his last few fights, that's what you've seen. And it's been, like, three years since he fought before this. So, unless he gets back in the cage and, and tries to do it again really quick. Because he didn't look horrible, but he didn't look anything like he used to. Like, Kid Yamamoto, when he was 21, would have tore that dude's face off. Yeah, that was... <laughs> that would have been a fuck. Yeah, like, and then the guy's so, like, oh, I'm you know, blind. <laughs> He's like, I'm blind. I can't see. I'm like, oh, there goes that. Yeah, so, it's like that's how it ended, though. I will say this. We went from that to Rowan Carnero essentially killing Mark Munoz for like five seconds in the cage. Yeah, that ref. That ref <laughs> is not, not doing his job. And that's not even – it wasn't even the last time he did something like that. Like, the, the, he did the same thing in the the, the contact fight. Like, how hard does someone have to tap or be unconscious for this ref to be like, 
Yep, yep, that's that's enough. Like, like he could have died because you didn't realize he was out. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, he was, and the crazy part was he was super out. Like it wasn't like you know like a, yeah. like like you fade out and then you you kind of go ah oh, and you get kind of back in the fight. The dude was out. I was like, wow. Yeah, like Mark. Um, he he might need um he might need to, uh, the Filipino record machine might need to go ahead and hang it up because this is the third fight in a row. He's been destroyed. Like he didn't just lose these last three fights. He's been mauled. Yeah, he's been handled so, in every fight. It might be time to just go ahead and you know let that rock. Up. Well, you know, you know what's funny? It was it was the beginning of just crazy fights from there on in because Gleason T Gleason and Tony Ferguson had a nasty finish too. I didn't even think Tony Ferguson was going to catch him the way he did. Um and the 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 transition from you know just the striking right into taking the back and choking him out, it was like blink of an eye. Yeah, Tony Ferguson, I think he's won what five fights in a row now. Um, a lot of people don't, you know, think of that. But he's won like five fights in a row now. He he's a really good fighter. So, I mean, he you know he he deserves a big step up in top ten competition. I think um, I agree. But he looked really good in this fight, like because like T Bow, he he's predictable, but you're not gonna do like most dudes just can't do this to him, right? And for him to just you know be able to beat him up that way and then choke him out like that was that was impressive. Yeah, and then, it, like I said, the finishes just came fast and furious. Uh, Alan Juban, Richard Walsh, uh, nasty um, KO from the elbow right into the punches. Just a nasty elbow that dropped Richard Walsh, and after that, you know, it was it was raining pain from from there on out. It was it was crazy just because I, you know, these guys I'd heard of, I've heard of them casually, you know, and I had to look up some tape and just try and find out, see what their body of work was, and I'm like, yo, that was just tremendous tremendous technique because it's not often that that a hard elbow like that drops somebody clean yeah like i, I like like i said my thing like i had never seen alan Jovan fight before this right um and for him to to impress me that much i mean that was that was impressive that elbow was really really impressive um i and i definitely definitely somebody i want to see fight again after watching him do excuse me do that yeah he's he's on he's on the radar um, the Josh Koscheck Jake Ellenberger fight, it was pretty much a, a fight of who's going to unemployment and who's not. And Josh Koscheck, again, much like we were talking about with the with the Munoz choke, I thought Josh Koscheck was dead or he had a seizure. Yeah, he he looked like he had a drug overdose. Like he like all that that he was foaming at the mouth on the choke and it like when I watched it, I'm like, "What the hell is the ref doing?" Like, because it looked like he was trying to tap multiple times, and the right. ref was like, "You need to fully tap." Like, or he clearly is getting choked unconscious. Right. Go ahead and just assume that he's trying to tap. He's not going anywhere. So, you know, it, I don't know. It's the same ref too. Like, so I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a nasty choke. It was a nasty joke, and the crazy thing that that got me was the fact that it was super tight. Like it, like the positioning yeah. was good, and there were, you know, they weren't they weren't even sweating to where you know there was there was any movement. It was forearm to throat, and it was just picture perfect textbook. I was like, wow, that was that was crazy. I also found it funny that 
you know, Jake mm-hmm. Allenberg is like, oh, yeah, I learned this choke from Mark Munoz. I'm like, not what you should have said. <laughs> yeah, well, Mark Munoz just got choked out. Really, <laughs> exactly. So, <you> know. so. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was, I mean, for all Mark Munoz's flaws, he's still a really good grappler. Yep, absolutely. Um, he just has no chin at this point. No chin, and he's old now. He's just, He's he's lost uh he's lost a lot. He's lost a step, so and it's it's really, really catching up with him now. Before before I get into this Holly Holm Raquel Pennington fight, you know, last week I had mentioned and um I, I wanted to get your opinion mm-hmm. on this that Rashad Evans was contemplating dropping down to one eighty five to not fight Rumble. And the reason I bring this up is because, you know, you look at guys like Mark Munoz, all these guys are starting to get the guys that we were watching fight, watching in the in the early days, you know, old early ultimate fighter days, early, you know, UFC on Spike TV days. They're starting to age out. So it's like for a guy like for a guy like Rashad Evans at this point, if he dropped to 185 and maybe had one or two fights. Is it even is it even worth it at this point? Because I just feel Rashad is is doing a great job as an analyst now. Honestly, I, I don't think we're. I don't know if I say it, I don't think Rashad should fight again. Because I mean, he didn't look horrible in the last. Oh, shit, well, who did he fight last? Um, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, he didn't look horrible in his last fight. But he's had also had two ACLs or, or two ACL tears. Yep. So, I mean. If he was going to drop down, cool. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, he, I wouldn't bet on him winning the title. Absolutely not. Well, like, that... I could see him doing doing some good things dropping down. Like, cause I could see him beating someone. I mean, Rashad is still, if he's the same guy that when we saw him last time, is still one of the best fighters on the planet. Right, so he can beat some guys at one eighty five, and he's always been an undersized two hundred five. But I mean, it'd be interesting to see. But I, I don't know if like you know he's winning a title or anything like that. Well, the reason I brought it up is just because a lot of these guys transitioning to these other weight classes, and you know, we 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 always joke about you know the Kenny Florian um, weight cuts. But in Rashad's case, I just feel that if he were dropping a one eighty five, I don't know, say three four years ago. When the division wasn't a a, a, a murderer's row of killers, <laughs> you know that's that's the thing too. It's like it's like you're getting into divisions now where the water is a lot deeper and the talent is a lot more dangerous than when you were on the come up at two oh five. Yeah, and I mean, that, I would have liked to have seen him in his prime in one eighty five. He was always. A, he was a great 205, but he was also also always really undersized. Mm-hmm. He was so always a small 205. Yeah, so I would, I would have loved to have seen what he would have looked like at 185. But I mean, at this point, he might be it might be too late. Yep, that's what I'm saying. So, as I was saying, the lady the ladies took center stage for our co-main and main event. Um, Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington. Uh, no, no disrespect to Raquel Pennington, but I honestly thought Holly Holm was going to take it to her. Um, going back to what you said in your column, you could see there was a lot of nervousness, a lot of jitters there. Yep, yep. Um, you you could see that she was like like you said, you could see that she was really really nervous. Um, I, I just had a couple. 
it, it was always it was amusing to me to to watch Twitter and, and see the people who had never actually they seem to have never actually seen her fight, which is entirely possible. Uh, yep. <laughs> like they heard pro boxer and they're like, oh, okay, so she she's just gonna be out here like blowing people's heads up with punches. That's never been her game. Like even when she was a pro boxer, that was never ever 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 her game. She had forty three fights, had four knockouts. She is not built that like that. And in MMA, her knockouts come from her high kick, her left high kick or left body kick. It, she sets it up by, like, you know, uh, getting you to pay attention to the hands and then kicking you. Doing um, the Merco. She, she does the Merco. Yeah, yeah. She's she's an excellent technician, um, but she's not, you know, this one-shot puncher that's going to blow your head off with a punch. Right. Um, Raquel Pennington's tough. Raquel Pennington lost, clearly lost. Uh, she's tough. And also, I thought that the knockdown in the last round was more a case of bad footing than actual right. punch that landed. But, um, yeah, I mean, Raquel Pendleton did what she was supposed to do. She was tough. I think Holly Holm needs some more seasoning before you put her in there with a Ronda Rousey, which is kind of where they were trying to position her to, to be in mm-hmm. right now anyway, which I always thought was a bit premature. Um, I always thought she needed, like, one or two fights in the UFC because to be honest, she did it wasn't like she was fighting anybody great on the come up. Um I mean the the the, the biggest name she fought on the come up was Jan Finney. Right. And last time I saw Jan Finney she was getting the shit beat out of her by Cyborg. So you know, I mean so um I, I didn't think she looked as bad as some people seem to think. I mean I thought she looked nervous and I, I kind of think that that will die down as she she gets some more ring time, but um, yeah, it, it it wasn't you know it wasn't the the tour de force that some people wanted it to be. Would you give Holly Holm, Kat Zingano, or Misha Tate as her next fight? Uh, if I was matchmaker, yeah, one of them. But uh, if I had to pick, but you're trying to I'd you're trying to create Misha. Not to cut you off, I apologize. Um, not to, not to. Oh, you yeah. gotta, re- you gotta remember, you're trying to create a viable Ronda Rousey opponent. So you know, given her Beth Carrera, you know what I mean, or or given her, um, you know, Liz Carmouche isn't gonna get the job done. Well, actually, Beth Carrera would actually be my choice because Beth Carrera is actually, I mean, close to a title shot. Close, true. Um, she 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 lose. <laughs> I mean, basically, all of them probably will lose. Like more more than likely, will lose. But um, maybe someone like a Beth Carrera, maybe like because I would kind of steer her clear from Amisha Tate or Kat Zagano right now. Um, just because I think she needs a little bit more seasoning before she goes up against somebody like that. Somebody like that. Like I understand the UFC needs challenges for Ronda Rousey, right. but you can't sabotage others' careers for that. Like it's not their fault that Rousey is who she is. Like you, you can't, you can't undermine her development just to make her fight Ronda Rousey right now. It's just not, it's not feasible, or it's not good business in my opinion right now. Okay, but I, you know what the the reason I also bring that up because is because Jessica I has been very vocal about being the next one to fight Ronda Rousey, and it's like I under I understand you know the enthusiasm of wanting to get in there for the big payday and the mainstream appeal and 
etc., etc., etc. But going into the main event, and and that's why I'm saying this, going into the main event and seeing mm-hmm. how that main event played out, you you gotta really take stock in the fact that Dana White doesn't want people to pay sixty dollars for a fight that ends in fourteen seconds or twelve seconds if if you're going by Gene LaBelle's clock. Here's the thing wrong, wrong. Like it's getting to the point now that she's shoehorning herself into co-main event status. Um, like she she she's a very 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 good fighter. Uh, she is a generational talent. She's probably the best female uh, combat fighter I've ever seen. Uh, that being said, first of all, this fight was, and this is not to take anything away from that amazing armbar. This fight was lost the moment Kaz Ngano decided to sprint out at her. Yep. For no fucking reason. That was stupid beyond belief. Like, that is not how you're beating us. You're not beating Ronda Rousey that way. You're, the, the only way I see someone being able to beat Ronda Rousey is fighting. Standing. Uh, a fight where you're keeping her away from you. Yep. Well, <laughs> Running directly to her is just giving you, basically giving her your arm. Well, you and I joke about this all the time, and it's like if your knees touch the floor, that's it. Because the beauty of her technique, and this isn't taking anything away from from any fighter that gets in there with her, is the fact that, and I've said this before, people train and they drill to protect against the armbar, forgetting that you may train five ways to 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 defend an armbar. She knows ten. You know, like that's like, like, like you can learn, but so much technique, it's like anything else. You know, the, 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 the Bruce Lee proverb that always one of my favorites, fear the man that, that practices one kick 10,000 times versus the man who knows 10,000 kicks. You could, you could drill the arm bar forever and you still won't win if, if you let her get positioning for it, because she's figured out how to get it from the side, from top mount, from back mount. You know, from side control, from crucifix position, it, it's it's ridiculous that that people are going in there. And I think that the problem was her corner was like, "Yo, you got to go out there and you gotta you gotta strike hard." And the problem with that is that you got to strike hard, but not running out with a flying knee hard. You know what I mean? You got to go in there, you yeah. got to try and engage, bully her into the corner, maybe utilize the cage a little bit, use the clinch, work short elbows. You know, and just avoid avoid giving position where where you're gonna get taken down easily. That's the problem too. Like people aren't training to block judo takedowns or stuffing takedowns. Everybody whose video specials I see, no, I was gonna say is everybody who who you see drilling on these UFC specials that's gonna fight her. All they drill is armbar. You know what I mean? They're not drilling judo defense. She is the thing with her technique is there's nothing that any of them are going to do to catch up. No, to what she, she is so much better than them at one the armbar, uh, and, and I don't even think it's just the armbar because I'm pretty sure she can do other submissions. Yep, is just she, she's really good at getting armbars because that's a judo thing. Like you, you can get uh, judo one of the. I mean, there's other submissions in judo, but when they do the ground part of judo, one of the big submissions is the armbar. Um, hell, the the wrong way armbar, I've never seen that done in pro MMA. Like, oh. I, I've seen it done, like, 
in judo. I've never seen it done in jiu-jitsu, and I've never done seen it done in pro MMA. But, um, <clears throat> like, the way she's able to <clears throat> position her body and, and get you to an armbar, e- even even if she doesn't get you to an armbar, she's good enough that, first of all, she can probably beat a lot of people on the feet, man. I mean, I, I doubt her coach talking about, like, she beat Holly Holm in a boxing match. Probably not. No. But, like, <laughs> like um, but... I think she is a good MMA striker. We just right. never get to see it. But I'm sure she's not like terrible. I'm sure she's not what she was when she first started. When she was throwing those weird voice Gracie kicks. Yep. And running into punches. Like I'm sure she's not that anymore. Um, we just never get to see it. But like she, <clears throat> you can't go in with that mindset. Like and Casadano said something that really threw me off like we didn't watch tape i'm just focusing on my game like are you stupid yeah like, and i saw that it's 2015 like if you're an mma fighter and you're not watching tape on your opponent or your coaches aren't watching tape on your opponent you are not winning because of that you're winning despite of that like pro athletes watch tape of their opponents period there's yep. no reason that you should not watch tape like like and someone like I said this somewhere else, and someone was like Donald Cerrone doesn't want to say Greg Jackson does. Very good. Like Greg Jackson, <laughs> yeah, Greg Jackson watches tape. That's Greg right. Greg Jackson is his coach. Greg Jackson, like yeah, Donald Cerrone's not watching it, but it doesn't matter what he's watching. I bet you John Jones doesn't watch very much tape. Greg Jackson does. Like her coaches are co-signing that bullshit. Right. And that was like the weirdest. Like I read that, I was like, are 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 they? They don't want to win. Like, I don't like, like, you might want to watch some tape. Well, tape, tape is, you know, watching tape and, and that a, a admission. And then, you know, she's like, oh, I want a rematch. And, you know, Ronda was like, oh, I'll give it a rematch, you know, whatever. But the problem is that when you look at it from a business perspective and you look at it from a matchmaking perspective, you're like, yo, you're going to give her a rematch? It's like you tapped her out in, in what equated to an Instagram video. And. You want to give her a rematch? It's like, nah, you got to chill. And that's and that's the problem. I'm and sure then she can get a rematch. She just has to win a bunch of fights. Right, but but <laughs> that's But that's the problem. Look at this division as a whole now. You know, it's Jessica I, maybe Beth Carrera, maybe Holly Holm. And yeah, each of these each of those women have valid claims based on again, MMA math and and MMA statistics. But let's break it down to brass tacks. Let's break it down to fucking money. People aren't going to go out of there, out there, and drop $60 on a card when, 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 this, when, when Ronda Rousey's dismantling people in, in less than a minute. It's not happening. And, that, and again, that nothing not to take anything away from these women because I'm sure they'll pose interesting and unique challenges. But from a business perspective, from a money perspective... Those fights aren't going to get people to plunk down $60 unless, like you said, she's shoehorning, you know, she's pretty much a bona fide co-main. That's what she's going to end up being. Like, unless she fights Cyborg next, she's going to be a co-main on, like, a John Jones card or something like that. Right. And the- I mean, like, what or what she was supposed to be on this card, like a co-main to Chris Wyman. Like, because you can't sell. I mean, yeah, she has a Tyson effect. Like, yeah, well, let's see how fast she gets rid of this girl, which is cool. It's novel, but I'm not paying $60 for the Tyson effect. Nope. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't want to pay $60 for that. I want, you know, 
I want to uh, see a challenge. So, you know, outside of the Cyborg fight, I think she'll be culminating from now on for a while. Well, let's 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 fast forward. Let's play let's play um both sides of the fence on this. If if Cyborg makes the weight and gets the fight. And let's say let's say for instance Ronda wins. What do you do at that uh-huh. point? I mean, it's really nothing you can't do. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. <laughs> to be like, honest, like, as a promoter at that point, what do you what other options do you have because when you're that dominant, and that's not to say that there's that there's anything wrong with having fighters that are that dominant, but from a promotional standpoint, at like, let's look at like Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez, dominant fighter in his division, champion in his division, but he's got a couple of guys that can go in there and test him. You get what I'm saying? Maybe not beat him, but test him. John Jones, same thing. John Jones, top of the food chain leader in his division, champion, but there's a couple of guys that could test him. You see what I'm saying? Make fights somewhat competitive. Same thing when you go down to 185. Same thing when you go down to 170. But what you said earlier on in the segment is exactly that. It's it's a whole other level of technique when you get into this women's division. Yeah, like, Ronda Rousey... Like the thing is, one thirty-five is not awfully shallow. Well, it's kind of shallow. Like one fifteen, like people are going to, I think, see in the next few years, is a division where like you're going to get like the the title changing hands. You're going to get fighters like Alexa Glazo, uh, Joanna, Joanna, JJ. Yep, I'm I'm start calling her JJ. (laughs) JJ, you want to? Because Carla Spars a good fighter. She's not better than a lot of 120, 115ers that aren't in the UFC yet, and they're going to be there. Right. I mean, KSW got uh, a, a one and with another really long, lots of letter name. I forgot her name now. Well, I know it. I just, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But, uh, like, th- there's some female fighters at 115 that you're going to see in the next few years that are going to be able to, one, I think, get as much attention as uh, Ronda Rousey because of their attractiveness. And two, the title is going to change hands. Like, it's going to be more interesting. But, like, with Ronda Rousey, like, there's really nothing you can do after the cyborg fight. Yep. And, and honestly, I think Ronda Rousey is aware of this, which is why she's doing, I'm recording a movie, I'm doing a movie, then I'll come back. So I'm giving y'all, like, a year. Yep. Maybe maybe nine months to get your shit together. Right. Give me somebody else to fight. If it's not cyborg, then give me somebody else to fight. I'll tap them. And then go do another movie. Well, here's the other thing, too. You can't even take the cobwebs off of Gina Carano now, so to speak. Because Gina Carano realized, like, yo, I'm not making this weight. And I'm going to go in there and essentially gift wrap my arm for this chick. Because, again, Gina Carano's striking, you know, ahead of its class. You know, her Muay Thai prowess, undeniable. But, again, give up a limb, it's lights out. Now with Cyborg, it's interesting because Cyborg, you know, <clears throat> drug. Let, let, let's let's clean the slate and let's say you know drug free right now. Her striking game, yeah. Her striking game is bananas. Like she broke that chick's nose clean. I was like, oh my god. Like I was like, oh, Charmaine tweet, yeah. not the not the way to go, not the way to to go into the spring with that busted nose. 
And and that was clean. You know, we were joking about, you know, Holly Holmes' record of fights versus her knockouts. It's like, yo, Cyborg is is coming into the cage with mostly knockouts. Yeah. You know, like like I mean, Cy- Cyborg is a special athlete. Like, yep. I mean, you know, like 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 you said, like let's like leave out the the steroids. Like she is a really, really, really freaky, powerful athlete. Right. Um, like, you, you just don't see female fighters with that kind of power. Like, I mean, there's some with, you know, a lot of technique and and, and can hit you and knock you out, but you, you just normally don't see females with that kind of power where she, she touches you as another female and your whole mindset on the fight changes. Yep. Like that, that charming and tweet girl, like she, she had the mindset, like I'm, I'm gonna go in here and you know give her a challenge. That first punch, she was reassessing her career. Yep. Like I mean, it was that simple. Like she, Cyborg makes makes these girls like re like rethink. Like maybe this is not what I need to be doing with my life. Like it's just that's <laughs> that's what she does. And like, but I mean, I still don't think she beats Rousey. Like I just, I her game doesn't really lend itself to being able to beat Rousey. Because she gets real reckless, I see her running towards Rousey with that and getting tossed on her head in some way and tapped out. Well, here's here's the thing. I I I, I started think feeling this the similar mindset that you had, but I realized that Cyborg's coaches will watch tape, <laughs> and then I said to myself, they're gonna tell her, "Yo, you got to try and get that clinch game. You got to try and work that fence work, and you got to try and really just out muscle her." And that's probably the game plan they're going to try to use. And I have a feeling that if they that they utilize a game plan like that, it's going to be a war between both of these ladies. Like the build up, I the build up for this. Like if you clinch up and run around, oh, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is I smell this becoming Cormier Jones level beef. Like this is Dana White at, at, at media events. Like yo, y'all, y'all got to chill. Like, like that's what I'm seeing. I think the pre-fight would be more interesting than the actual fight. Like, I just don't see Cyborg. Because here's the thing, like, even watching tape, like, are they going to make her as good as Judo as, as Ronda Rousey is? Like, because, like, like, Cyborg still has to get close to her. Like, that's the, that's the scary part about Ronda Rousey. Like, you have to, at some point, get close to her. Yep. And if she gets her hands on you, it's not about strength with her. Like, because, like, muscle for muscle, Cyborg is probably the stronger one. But it's not about strength with Ronda Rousey. Right, it's she about momentum. such good use of balance. Yeah, it's such good use of balance and such good, good use of momentum from years and years and years of judo that it really doesn't matter how much if you're strong. Because I'm almost 100% sure, like, strength for strength, uh, Catherine Donald might be stronger than her. But right. it doesn't help you very much <laughs> if she throws you on your head. Like this is like she like I've seen her like I saw like a video earlier of her throwing a grown ass man like yep. and I'm glad I'm glad and you I, brought that up because that's that'll be a good way to segue right into this week's news. That uh <laughs> yeah. that video, that guy ended up with what, three broken ribs? Yeah. But 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 uh, here's something that bothers me with, with media when it comes to MMA fighters, mm. particularly women, and I'm glad you brought this up. Everybody wants some freak show shit. Meaning, 
Oh, put me in a choke. I want to know what a choke feels like. Oh, let me see how an arm bar feels. Oh, you know, it's not so bad. You're not so bad. And then it's, you know, you getting embarrassed. That happened to some guy that did Good Day New York. I think it was um, it was Hill, Angela Hill from Tough. And he was like, oh, yeah, let's try it. And she like she she took him down in like heels. And I just said to myself, why do you got why do you guys all want to do this freak show shit? Yo, put me in an arm bar, especially because that guy was kind of talking shit. It's like now you got three broken ribs by the best female fighter in the world. How's that make you feel? Yeah, like that you're just you just got embarrassed like a clown. <laughs> first of all, I, I there's there's no reason. First of all, it's some weird male ego shit. It's it's the same way I feel like when dudes are like, oh, you know, why didn't she fight him in? Or like, I she needs to fight your mid. Why? Why does she need to do that to appease you and your weird dumbass fixation <laughs> on clearly? Like it's just it's just the weirdest thing to me. It, it's weird me out too. Like when dudes walk up to these girls, like oh, it's the same. It's the same as that logic that these dudes have with with the with the like Demetrius Johnson, who's like five foot three. Like oh, you're five foot three. I just sit on you. He would fuck you up. Like, <laughs> Pretty much. He, 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 he like like the same thing around Rousey. Like you're if you're a trained fighter, it's different. If you're just some dude on the street. She will fuck you up, Pretty like much. really fuck you up. Like it's not even a game. Like I don't understand the mindset that goes into those weird ass videos. Well, the so thing- why are you even at? Like I don't want you twisting <laughs> my arm in some weird way. Like, yep. No. Why? <laughs> well, the thing that gets me also is that you just from just also from a um, and this is gonna it's gonna happen, dude. And I, and I I brought it up, and I'm glad you brought it up for this reason. It's going to happen. Someone's going to get hurt the wrong way and somebody's going to get sued and the UFC is going to be like, no more of that. Because WWE did that with the wrestlers. Like, yo, you can't go putting anybody in it. Like, they used to always have, like, the big show. Like, yo, can you grab my neck for a choke slam? You know, like for a photo op. And WWE yeah. was like, yo, you can't do that no more. Because that, cause that's all it takes. You grab somebody just casually by mistake. Like, dude, I'm not... Like I'm not the biggest person in the in the room. I'm not the biggest person in the world. But I don't know my own strength. Sometimes mm-hmm. I break shit by accident, just by accident. Oh look, I just like like I got on the escalator with my wife, and I was playing with the with the with the rubber on the escalator, and I accidentally pulled the whole rubber handle off the escalator <laughs> at, at the source mall here in 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 New York City. I'm like, oh yeah, that wasn't good, and I just casually just walked off the escalator and kept it moving. But just 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 dumb shit, you know what I mean? And again, that's just me being yeah. me, you know, like bull in a china shop. I acknowledge it. You know, I break shit happens. It's like it's going to happen. The UFC is going to put themselves in a corner where somebody's going to do a media tour. Hey, put me in an arm bar or show me how, a, you know, how, a t- how to check a kick. Like, that's the best. When I see these dudes like, yo, I want to learn how to check a kick. And they take a kick from a dude and it's like, yo, if your leg get broke, whole leg goes flying away yeah. from them and they fall on their face. Yep. And that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah, glad. Like, I've actually had something like that actually happen. A uh, <laughs> uh, funny story. Because, uh, I mean, I, I trained for a little while and uh, I, kn- I know how to do stuff properly. 
Right. And uh, like uh, the job I had before this working in the prison, uh, one of the techniques they had, like, tr- like if you have to fight in prison, there's certain moves that you're supposed to do. And one of them is a leg kick, but like it's a, it's, they want it on the shin. It's, it's strange. Uh, anyway, so we were in class and, and I mentioned to like the, one of the coaches, like, Hey, I, I trained MMA for a while. Like I kind of know how to do it like Muay Thai and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh, I always have somebody in here that says they can do something like that. Why don't you, you know, show me. I'm like, you, so you want me to kick you in the leg? He's like, yeah. So he puts the pad up to his leg and he, he, he doesn't put it. And I told him, you might want to like really brace your leg. And he was like, kick me as hard as you can. I was like, okay. I kick him in the leg and send him in the pad flying to the ground. And I'm like, I, I told you this, like pe- people assume like people know how to do stuff. Right. <laughs> if I actually know how to do things properly, like you can be hurt. Yep. <laughs> like really easily without someone trying. Well, you can be hurt it's, on it's, both sides because it's like if you have if you have good technique, you're at risk of hurting said crash dummy. Or if said crash dummy <laughs> does something wrong or gets nervous and that move doesn't go according to plan, then that then you risk the fighter getting hurt. Like imagine a fight being canceled yeah. because a dude goes to check a kick and the guy doesn't turn his leg the right way, and then the guy that's kicking him breaks his leg, Anderson Silva style. Ooh. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like, stupid. Yeah, and, and quite honestly, like, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even do it. There you go. <laughs> you like, if I was a pro fighter, like, you couldn't make me do that. Nope. But that's what happens. Like, oh, why don't you, like, kick me in the leg? Nah. Nope. <laughs> that's what happens and, and you know like like i i, I watch you know i listen to o, opie and anthony well now opie and jimmy and sometimes they'll get fighters in there and jim norton you know one of my favorite comedians he'll be like oh you know put me in a choke and you know he'll be like oh that's a little tight you know and he'll and he'll let it go but it's just like why do you do that like i think he had i think he had misha tate put him in a choke once and, and you know obviously like you said there, there's you know a little freakiness in there and it's just like oh shit he's like I, i'm good i'm good I'm good, you know, and, and it's just like, all right, we got it, all right. So she could choke you out, yeah, great, right. <laughs> you know, like. But but I I wanted to bring that up because that guy, what he, you know, four broken ribs. It's like, was it worth it, dude? Was it really worth it? Because I I don't think so. Like you're gonna have to sleep with like a like a pillow under your back, and you're gonna have to have a brace and all this shit until you hit ribs heal up. Yep, it, it was not worth it. Sorry. No, not worth it in the slides. So. Uh, on the on the on the main MMA news side of things, we're getting the 21st edition of the Ultimate Fighter, which is again using a new format, and it's going to be Black Zillions against American Top Team prospects. Um, this could be interesting. It could. Um, this could be actually be a good one. Um, because of who's going to be like, I mean, I don't know what prospects are going to be on it, but I mean, there's legit dudes at both those gyms. Yep. Dangerous guys. So, I mean, I, I'm interested to see that because, um, I mean, you could, you could legit get somebody who would probably be in the UFC anyway and just end up being on the show. Right. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how the, it goes. Um, I don't really care about all the drama bullshit that right. the preview was showing. Like, I, I care about the actual fights, and if those are good. I don't give a damn about these two coaches not liking each other. There you for go. No, apparently. But, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see the fight, I mean, the, 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 the series. 
I'm really interested, honestly. Yeah, and then for the Ultimate Fighter Latin America, they're doing Kelvin Gastelum and Efren Escudero as coaches. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, they're not gonna fight. I don't know. Like, I, I, just, I just think like you couldn't get like better Latin Americans. But <laughs> like, well, you know what's I mean, crazy? Kelvin Gastelum, yeah, right. Huh? No, no, you're right. Efren Escudero, though, like. <laughs> Like that dude is barely in the UFC. Barely, just just barely. Like, why is? I mean, then again, they did do Australia with Kyle Noak. Yeah, this who is. I true. don't even think has fought since that. So he's fighting on the Australia card that's coming up now. I think they just keep him for when they fight in Australia. <laughs> they, that's all he does, and yep. so they can continue talking about like he was Steve Irwin's bodyguard, like yep. over and over and over again. Yep, poor guy's only claim to fame. Um, it wouldn't be a MMA. It wouldn't be a week in MMA without Anderson Silva being in the news. Um, according to the Brazilian news site UOL and reported also via UFC.com, Silva's planning to admit to the use of banned substances at his hearing with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Um, according to what's being said, uh, the reasoning is that um, you know, he's going to acknowledge that he used the drugs. They 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 used the drugs for recovery from the broken leg and that the levels in his system were low to the point where they could not have enhanced his performance. Now here's my only issue. The anti-anxiety medication, you know, hello, you got, we understand, we kind of know why that poor bastard was taking anti, anti-anxiety medication after having a broken leg. But let's just yeah. go back to the fact that the guy denied vicious, vigorously denied, that he didn't use anything. I don't know what I'm apologizing for. <laughs> exactly. And that, my friends, is the problem. Yeah, like, if you if you use it or whatever, which he clearly did, just say when you initially, the shit initially got popped. Like, right. yeah, I used it. It's for therapeutic use for, like, my leg. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And people okay. would have been like, yo, I mean, we got it. I won't believe you. I mean, I, I personally still won't believe you, but, I mean, whatever. Like, I'm not the one that you need to convince. But, I, but I, like, huh? No, go ahead, go ahead. But, like, now, like, I hate when, like, <laughs> now it's like, oh, well, you know, I used it, but, you know, I denied it all this time up until, like, the the intact hearing. Like, it just, it just, it's bullshit to me when they do that. Well, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to, to say also. It's like... If if you have a medical professional, a certified doctor, come in there for your commission hearing and go, listen, Anderson was using these drugs. They were part of his regimen to um, assist in his recovery. The levels were X. They're in line with X. We honestly miscalculated and did not expect for those levels to show up. Like, I have a feeling that this hearing is going to involve some doctor taking an L for Anderson Silva. 100%. And the reason I say that is because like it's almost like when... Uh, what was that? Overeem's doctor? Yeah, taking <laughs> taking the doctor. L. Just taking the L, dude. Just the doctor coming in like, damn, you know, we prescribed a little too high, we fucked up, you know, we apologize, the commission's gonna be like, alright, you know, it is what it is. And then he was like, yeah, you know, if, if Nick Diaz wants to do it again, you know, we'll do it again. It's like, I'm like, what is happening? Like, bizarro world, dude. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like at this at this point, I have no real idea what's going on in yep. Silva. Um, I mean, and then you're getting fighters like you know still remaining as fans, and you got fans like, oh, well, you don't think he's a bad guy for doing that? Then clearly you use him too. Like, no, you guys are still huge fans of Anderson Silva. As am I. It's unfortunate that this is something that happened. Dude, um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his. I'm a fan of his, uh, you know, yeah. not to cut you off, but I'm a fan of his, and, and I'll acknowledge that again. If it was if he, if he, it was used and there was a recovery, whether it was for recovery or recoveries being used as the, as the scapegoat, the injury wa- can, can warrant that. Not to say that it's right or wrong, yeah. but the injury can warrant that because when you're being paid that kind of money and an organization has that kind of a belief system in you, it's no different... Than, than football players getting a shot in the knee even though their their ACL and MCLs ripped to shreds and they going out there to play and the team is making that call. It's no different. Yep. It's the same exact thing. <laughs> same shit. It's just, think about it. It's like when, when George St. Pierre blew out his ACL. The UFC was like, yo, we're going to get him the best doctors. We're going to do this. We're going to do that because that motherfucker makes money. Yep. Whatever you need. Everybody's like, oh, Anderson Silva recovered so remarkably fast. I said he had help. And you, hell, you were on a few shows when we were like, there's help in there somewhere, either with a lot of zeros or with, or with, you know, fucking shamans, whatever the case may be, (laughs) you know? Oh, of course he had help. I mean, there's no way he didn't. I mean, honestly, I didn't care. (laughs) There you go. If, if by the time you get back to the cage, you have, you you don't pop for anything, I don't care. There you go. Like, I just want to know what the and level I, is. I made it, yeah, and I, and I made it kind of clear, like, my stance for PEDs to begin with. Like, if if people are going to do them, let everybody do them. Like, I just, and, and I know that's a, probably, like, not the, the thinking that you should have in that situation because you don't want anybody to die from it. Right, but I'm just I'm just not I don't steroids don't do everything people think they do. They don't instantaneously make you John Jones. Right, <laughs> that's not something that happens. Right, so like I I, I just don't think I, I don't care so much. But if you're told you can't do them and they're doing like you know the random testing and everything, I think that's a really good idea. If you're if you're told you can't do them, then they should be randomly tested. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it is what it is. Like, and a lot of guys I think do steroids mostly for recovery purposes purposes anyway. Right. So oh. it is what it is. Hopefully, they work out whatever the hell is going on with Silver. Well, um, the the one card for for 2015 that's on everybody's radar is UFC 187. And, you know, you had mentioned John mm-hmm. Jones, you know, John Jones, of course, main eventing that card from Memorial Day weekend, uh, him and Rumble squaring off Weidman and, um, you know, the old the, the old lion Vitor squaring off and then just really good fights are coming together. Uh, Rose Nama Yunus was announced on that card. Um, Josh Sample taking on Justin Scoggins. Also, uh, Stun Gun, Dong Young Kim is taking on Josh Berkman. But here's the fight that I had to be brought to your attention john dodson mm. facing zach makovsky number one fight, facing uh, number nine is fighting for a title <laughs> <laughs> number one facing number nine 
Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Dobson is he, I can't remember, did he tear his ACL or I don't think he tore his ACL. He, he has some injury where he's been out for a little while. So you can't just throw him right back into the title fight. Right. Right now. So, you know, he needs, he need, needed a fight. And it's not like Zach McCowski is some pushover. He's, right. you know, he, he's a very good fighter. So, former Bellator um, Bethelweight champion. So, I mean, it should be, it should be a really good fight. I expect Dotson to probably knock him out. Right. Um, I I could agree Dotson with that. Has freaky amounts of power to be that small. Right. But uh, yeah. So and then hopefully we get a uh, they run back that uh Demetrius Johnson John Dotson fight, which was the most competitive Demetrius Johnson fight I've seen in a really long time. Well, the reason I also mentioned that is because T.J. Dillashaw over here talking about that he's going to come down to 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 D.J.'s weight for that super fight. <laughs> It's not a super fight yet. Like, and I, and I hear him. <laughs> I hear, and I like what he's saying, and I understand yep. what he's trying to do. Yep. The thing is, he hasn't defended his belt but one time. There you go. Like, it does, it's not a super fight yet. Like, no. You, you, like Demetrius Johnson has got like what three or four, might be five at this. Might point. be five. Um. Yeah, five defenses of his belt already. Like you, you gotta win some more, bro. Before you, before you start, because he's called out Jose Alder too. Like, yep. I, I like, I like your attitude. I, I love the attitude, but you gotta, you gotta beat some more people in your division first. There you go. The um, the other bit of controversy, and you know, we've been talking about PEDs. Joe Rogan coming out of left field saying that Fedor used PEDs, and I'm like, yo, Fedor looked like like an accountant. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. again, that's Fedor not is like. The, no, what I was going to say is not not to say that there may or may not have been any in there because there's different PEDs for different shit. But at at a you know, but you look at Fedor, Fedor was just the right kind of athlete at the right time. He was he was he's one of the few dudes that like just athletically was built to do MMA. Like there's there's certain people like for instance I think John Jones is like that one of a kind athlete built for MMA. Right. Fedor is built was built for MMA, and I don't think, though, I say this wouldn't surprise me um, if he he had some help because he was fighting in Pride, where the, you were kind of yeah, but from everything Rampage, exactly. I've heard Rampage say like you were kind of uh, help promoted to do it, but you were you were you were told like hey, we don't give a shit like right <laughs> Rampage. Basically tells a story of like uh, some Japanese commissioner basically telling him to take steroids. Like the, just in, like, do you need some? Like this, that's how they it worked in Pride. So you know, that, it wouldn't surprise me if he had some help at some point. Right, but but you know what got me? It's like it's like Rogan. I understand what you're doing, but I hate to tell you. And you know, Fedor was like, "Yo, man, <laughs> I've always been clean. I could test tomorrow. I'd always be. I'll always be clean." But I also kind of took it like you're not getting this dude back in the cage. It's not happening. Oh, he's never, he's like, never. You know ever, what I mean? Ever, ever like it's, it's not happening. And I kind of saw the logistics of what they were trying to do. Like, yo, we're gonna run with this story and see what happens. And I'm like, you're not getting him in there. Hate to tell you, not happening. He is living a comfortable life, doing nothing in Russia and pretending like his brother isn't some psycho rapist. Like, <laughs> Pretty much. That is what Fedor... Yeah, his brother is a terrible person. Yeah. But that, that is what Fedor is doing right now. Like, um, Fedor doesn't need to fight anymore. He's never going to fight again. Um, 
Bellator was trying to get him. They're trying. Man, he's not coming back. Like their their moment to get him <clears throat> was when they were trying to uh, like cope him up with M1 Global, which M1 Global was kind of stupid to ask. <laughs> like, oh, Leslie, you, we can cope him up with you. No, you're not cope promoting with the nope. UFC. The not UFC happen. is promoting the fight. That's it. But uh, I mean. You know, it it is what it is. I mean, Fedor has never come back to fight. I would it would have been really cool to see him, you know, fight in the octagon one at least once. But not the end of the world. I mean, nope, it's, it's not, not that big a deal. Nope. Now, on the on the uh, on the bad news side of things, the UFC dropped the axe on a couple of guys. Brian Bowles finally got cut. By the way, <laughs> Stanislav Nedkov got cut. Andy Ogle got cut. Akira Korosani got cut. Juan Pui got cut, and um, Humberto Brown, uh, R- Rodolfo Rubio, and Tim Gorman all got cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, none of those dudes really surprised me. Nope. I will. At all. So, I will say this. I didn't know Akira Korosani had lost three fights. I was kind of shocked with that one. Brian Bowles, like I said, after yeah. that whole drug drug and weapons charge thing we joked about that it's like damn y'all cut him just now well shit <laughs> plus he hasn't fought in like three four years like 2013 like hasn't fought in a yeah he he hadn't fought in a while like i didn't know i didn't understand why he was still lost in the first damn place well dude he got popped <laughs> for elevated test in that loss to george root to boot yeah so there you go so yeah, those got those guys got cut. Yeah. And um the next bit of news tripped me out and I figured you'd appreciate this. Bloody Elbow um they were they covered the other uh, welcome to the show press conference and John Jones mm-hmm. John Jones goes and oh, says yeah, that. <laughs> that he could beat Cain Velasquez at heavyweight. And I hate to say it but chill. <laughs> and then to boot, he said, "Yo, I'll fight for Bricio Verdum every day all day." <laughs> I'm like, yo, what is happening? Full on, full on I heel mean, mode. Full on I, heel mode. <laughs> I would absolutely love to see either one of those fights. I mean, and John Jones isn't far away from like having to go to yep. weight. <laughs> he, because like honestly, if he beats Johnson, that's it. Well, like, yeah, that's what he said. The, 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 like, if if he beats Johnson, like, there's nobody else in the division. Um, so I, I'm kind of thinking. That the plan now is like once you beat Johnson, like you're moving up. Um, you know, I mean, I can see him. Be, he he's got to put on some not that much more weight because he's already a giant, <laughs> but uh, maybe not cut down as much. But you know, I I, I mean, I think he can give both of them good fights. Um, I think he has a better chance against Verdum than yeah. he does uh, Kane, but I, I don't think yeah. it's like foregone conclusion. Like I. I he could probably fight Kane very similarly than that he fought Cormier. Mind yeah, you, but Kane has to be healthy for that. But but, but they were saying, you know, if, if if they fought, Kane would be three inches shorter, and John Jones would have a seven and a half inch reach advantage. But what gets me is just it's funny <laughs> that you hear that, and don't get me wrong, dude, it's it's natural progression, but you gotta also grow into a heavyweight body. You get what I'm saying? 
Like I don't say that yeah. he'll never fight a heavyweight or he won't. It's a it's a transition in technique. It's a trans it's a transition in speed. It's a transition in body. So it's like yo, you're not gonna just gonna be like yo, I'm coming to heavyweight. And I'm fighting Kane first. You get what I'm saying? There's actually a very good chance they would do that though. Yeah, like, and, and there's almost like I would be shocked <laughs> if like he beats Johnson, Kane beats Verdum, um, <clears throat> he gets like. <clears throat> A year or so off to get his heavyweight body, then you do that fight. <laughs> well, you don't need a year. Probably nine, nine months, months, something like that. Yeah, nine months heavyweight body, and then you have champion versus champion at heavyweight. That's it. <laughs> Excuse me. Like, so I, I could see him doing something like that. I mean, it's not like, and, and like with the speed thing, like I think he'd be faster than most heavyweights almost all heavyweights right well well yeah almost (laughs) almost all is right but i'm just saying that again it's like i understand that they'd want you know going with with what you're saying logistically they'd want to do it because dude that would be a huge payday for all parties involved but i also feel Mm -hmm. i also feel that heavyweight heavyweight isn't a uh heavyweight isn't a shallow division so even if jones made the jump Mm -hmm. like 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 I'd I'd do Jones and Verdum first just to see how it works, and yeah. and then do you know if that goes through, just do him and Kane, and call it a day. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, say Francis Kane beats Verdum, like I I'd actually do like a Jones like who'll be the number one contender at that point, like a Jones Travis uh, Brown fight, a Jones. Like, whoever would be the number one contender. Yep. Because, one, you want to see what he looks like at heavyweight. And, right. two, it gives him a chance to, like, okay, I'm a heavyweight. You know, you know you, you're fighting someone who, who's naturally this big. I mean, he's naturally that big. He's not, right. He cuts down to a fire. He's naturally in that range. So, you know, you're fighting against someone who's naturally that size and everything. And then you're, you're you know, you're seeing how your body acclimates to it. And, you know, honestly – Go is not as shallow as light heavyweight. Still in favor of John Jones over ninety five percent of heavyweights. Well, yeah. Once you go the past one, once you go past top five, and we've joked about this for other divisions. Once you go, once you go five, four, three, two, one. It's like, yeah, that's where the problems really are. You know, the guys from yeah, six to ten are interchangeable. It's more like. Yeah, and with heavyweights, it's more like three, two, one. Like, <laughs> like because. Because really, I mean, I guess you can count Junior Dos Santos still, even though like Kane probably took part of that man's soul with him. Yeah, pretty much. Dude. <laughs> so, and like, I honestly, I think John Jones would do something very similar to Kane. Like, I, I just, I, I think Junior Dos Santos is no longer the Junior yeah. Dos Santos we saw. Like, like I, I just think his he's he's gone. <laughs> so, I mean. But, like, Verdum and Kane are, like, the only two dudes I would really see John Jones having real super difficulty with. Because um, I'm trying to think what those other fights look like with the top five heavyweights, and I don't see them looking very different than heavyweight, uh, what he does at light heavyweight. Because it's not like he he comes to the cage about 230-something right. anyway. Well, I'd be the one asshole so, dude that would put him in there with Overeem first. <laughs> together don't they yeah dude. Together now. yeah that's what i'm saying i'd be the Apparently, one i'd be the one guy that would do I've that seen, 
And and the reason I'm not too worried about John Jones is heavyweight. Like I've seen pictures of him and Overeem next to each other. Yeah, I saw those not on like Instagram. Overeem dwarfs him. <laughs> in fact, there's times, like certain times, where John Jones looks like he's bigger. Right? Yeah, that's true. I saw I saw those photos yeah. recently from the training camps, and I'm like, yeah, maybe. But I that's what I was saying. Like I I'd, I'd see that kind of a fight first, just from a striking perspective. Just to, again, just adapting to to that style of fighting once you get up there. Because these are, you know, these yeah, are dudes with true. with with er, with with uh, conscious separators for hands, you know, consciousness separators yeah, for true. hands. So that, that, but that's what I mean. Like I would go, uh, you know, a striking fight that's still a marquee fight, and then use that as just the the stepping stone to to the super fight. Like that would be the best way to do it because everybody would get paid. You have the opportunity to milk that that jump for all it's worth. And it creates intriguing matchups. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, to go full board, yo, we got to put him in there with Kane. Yes, it's great. But from a business perspective, you could still drag that out with two fights, maybe one fight, and make a fuckload of money for everybody. Yeah, true, true. I definitely, like I said, he he beats Johnson. That's that's it. So we'll be talking about, we'll definitely be talking about this. If he beats Johnson in a couple months, Definitely will be the next thing we're talking about. That's it. The um to wrap things up, um, for those of us here in New York, we continue to wait on bated breath for mixed martial arts to get sanctioned here in New York City. Um, well, in the state of New York. And it turns out mm-hmm. that now that the the major opponent, Sheldon Silver, was arrested on on corruption charges, it looks like now the guy that's running the uh the house, the the assembly, is uh Carl Hesty, who's who's supported the legalization of MMA in the past and is pretty much the polar opposite of Sheldon Silver. So things are looking up in the sense that we may actually get that shit done. Um, it's been something that, you know, has been trying to get done for shit, like almost a decade now. Yep. So uh, it, it would be dope to see a card in, uh, in Madison Square Garden. It would Absolutely. be dope, dope to see like John Johnson, who's from New York. Like you know, got the, all the guys that are from New York on that card. It would, it would be you know him, Chris Weidman. Well, Chris, no, Chris Weidman's from Jersey. Chris is from New York. No, nah, Weidman. Um, Weidman lives in Long Island. He he'll fight. He'd fight on that card. Oh yeah, yeah. Like Alan Alquinta and those guys. Like it it would be dope to see those guys like all on that card. You know. Um. So hope, hopefully they'll be able to do it and do some like massive card in MSG. There you go. Um. The uh, the New York State Senate Commission for a committee for cultural affairs, tourism and parks and recreation versus voted for two to move the legislation forward. Now it's just a matter of, you know, the New York assembly and just trying to get that passed uh, for Tita. He's not trying to get too crazy. He said it himself. He's like, we're just hopeful that the democratic process can play out the way that it should. Um, and at least give legislators mm-hmm. the opportunity to vote on the bill up or down either way. So again, cautious optimism, but considering that the big, the big, uh, elephant in the room being Sheldon Silver and his crooked ass are no longer in the picture. It paints, it paints something that, that really is a bit more positive. So I figured I'd share that with the listeners and uh, that'd be a, a fitting way to close things out. Uh, just to let people know, Ben did record a brand new black is the new black today, which should be up within the next day or so. Uh, so definitely be on the yep. lookout for that. Uh, definitely picking up some steam. Uh, also Ben, had a comic review that went up on the site and the writer for the comic actually uh, retweeted the review, said some really nice things about it, which was cool. So 
wanted to give Ben that acknowledgement on air and uh, just uh, remind everybody where they can find you. Uh, you find me on Twitter at blackout89. You can find me on my Facebook, you know, in my name, Benjamin Anderson. Um, you know, you guys check out Black is New Black. Uh, we always enjoy feedback, always enjoy new listeners. So, yeah, so check out the show. There you go. Uh, good numbers thus far. Um, figured I'd, I'd tell you good numbers across the board. Word, word. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're getting there. I'll send you some numbers. All right. All so right. Um, <laughs> just make sure you can follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89, B-L-A-Q-O-U-T, the number eight, the number nine on Twitter. Of course, you can also interact with him on our Facebook fan page. Ben, as always, thank you for the assist. I appreciate it. All right, man. All right, brother. We'll catch up. Peace. All right, peace. And there you have it. That's our very own Ben, and he has left the building. Let's uh, switch some gears and jump into this week's wrestling. A uh, pretty quiet week on the wrestling front, but we still got to talk about Raw, which, again, as we build up towards WrestleMania, just it, it just hasn't been the same. Let's get to it. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code is WWESAVE10. All right, so Raw this week had a couple of a couple of things teased before they went on air. Of course, we had a Hall of Fame induction, the possibility of Jon Stewart showing up to address Seth Rollins, the continued buildup towards WrestleMania, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Raw started off quite, quite interesting with um, an exchange between Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Um, I did, I did feel that Roman Reigns had better mic work this week. Once again, um, there was of course the, the inevitable setup for a match between both of them later this evening, which we all knew was going to happen, which is no big deal. On the contrary, even though it's a match we see often, it hasn't gotten to the point where it's terrible a la Kane and the Big Show versus everyone else. On the contrary, working with Seth Rollins is good for a guy like Roman Reigns. It allows him to step up his technique and prepare him for what is sure to be a very, very uh, brutal match with Brock Lesnar. And I say brutal from um, from, from two sides. Brutal because you're dealing with a guy who works a very, very strong style, Brock Lesnar, even though his his path of destruction is very controlled in the ring, there is a large probability for injury, and I, I'm very concerned with this match only because while Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns are decent wrestlers, Brock Lesnar I'd, I'd probably put above Roman Reigns, I do feel that neither guy is experienced at carrying a match on their own versus you know guys like John Cena, Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, etc., because those guys have acclimated to the role of ring general. When it comes to Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, my bigger concern is the fact that the match won't mesh well because neither guy has been the one to carry matches. And that, my friends, is the bigger issue. Again, the main event can still change between now and March 29th, but 
as of right now, my concern for the main event lies more with in-ring chemistry and the ability to tell a good story versus just, you know, the build-up for the match itself. Because obviously the build-up for the match is going to be Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman doing most of the talking with maybe a possible face-off the Raw before WrestleMania, then the match, and maybe post-WrestleMania, and that's it. And that, my friends, is what, like I said, I've been wanting to watch very closely. If WWE was smart, they'd try and get Roman Reigns involved with as many guys that could make him better as possible. Seth Rollins being one, uh, Daniel Bryan, of course, was the first to kind of start getting that ball rolling, and I think it's going to be... Uh, just good for his character to work with so many competitive guys and guys that can really bring out just a new dimension of offense for him in the ring. Again, we'll see what happens. It's a long, it's it's a long way to March 29th, but it's not that long. Dean Ambrose and Bad News Barrett squared off. Of course, this is the build up to Bad News Barrett defending his IC title in a ladder match, which I, is a cool concept. I mean, the participants that are there are great. Uh, there's a lot of teasing being done uh, where Daniel Bryan may be involved in this match. And I'm a little concerned, obviously, because I feel Daniel Bryan is above that. And I feel that the guys that are feuding for the IC title are all credible guys. Luke Harper, uh, Dolph Ziggler, R-Truth, all great, all great competitors, Dean Ambrose. I just feel that in Daniel Bryan's case, him just randomly jumping into this match is is not what you'd expect from a guy that main evented WrestleMania last year. Again, we do see the transition with a guy like John Cena kind of moving away, uh, working with some of these other guys, putting these guys over. But I feel that Daniel Bryan has not reached a point where he needs to go into the mid card to put anybody over or to make anybody look good because Daniel Bryan only has one title reign under his belt that was cut short due to injury. So again, Pushing him into the mid card while it would lead to a better ladder match, I'm sure that him not being in it, it in that match is not going to make that match any less great. I mean, all the participants in there are great competitors and they're going to tell a good story. But Daniel Bryan, like I've always said, better suited for just a more prominent role in WrestleMania and just acknowledging the fact that this was a guy who had such a great moment last year to to just put him in this randomly thrown together match. For the sake of of just you know getting him involved, I do feel is a bit of a step back. That that's just that's just my opinion on it. I will say that the uh, the videos with Bray Wyatt continuing to uh, try to get the Undertaker's attention are very very well done. Um, as for whether the Undertaker will respond or not, I've heard different different opinions, uh, different sites reporting different rumors. Um, I do feel that there there needs to be at least one Undertaker appearance between now and WrestleMania, at least one to kind of drive the gimmick home. I'm sure that when he does respond to Bray Wyatt, you know, even though they might go with a whole video package like they did with Sting and Triple H, I think that doing a face-to-face interaction, even if it's brief, with a good Undertaker entrance would really get the crowd back in the Undertaker's corner, so to speak. I mean... The guy's been out of the ring since you know since last year, and different pictures float around on the web regarding his physical condition and if he's going to be ready, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the thing that's going to really validate him being ready is a face-to-face with Bray Wyatt, and that's what I think is going to need to be done in order to really drive this home. We can do 
all the video packages and promos from Bray Wyatt that we want, but it's an appearance by the dead man that's really going to bring everything full circle. Now, I did I did want to talk about the um the exchange between Stephanie McMahon and John Cena. I really felt that this was probably Stephanie McMahon's strongest promo work. I felt that it was a good way to just drive the point home that, you know, it's not all about John Cena. It was a very a very good promo, very real, uh very hard-hitting and impactful. I liked it because you were really taking advantage of the crowd that definitely was divided uh being a Jersey crowd and I do think that Looking at this from the long term, I think John Cena's transition away from the main event is going to really benefit up-and-coming talent because you have a guy who's still, for for all intents and purposes, the cornerstone, the face of the company, and you're, you're having him really help some of these guys reach that quote-unquote brass ring. I think that Stephanie McMahon's involvement is crucial in driving that point home, and I think it was a really, really good exchange between the two of them. Obviously, we know that it's going to be Cena and Rusev at Mania for the U.S. title. The real question is, after WrestleMania, if Rusev loses, how will he transition from just being this undefeated monster? Like I've said before, I do feel that the undefeated streak is a crutch that creative relies on to kind of keep this to keep Rusev strong, but we'll see how it pans out again March 29th, still a ways away, but the exchange between uh, John Cena and Stephanie McMahon was very, very good. And of course, it led to John Cena taking on Curtis Axel, which bothered me because Curtis Axel was starting to gain some traction with his whole Axelmania gimmick. And, you know, to job him out to John Cena was just not what I'd expect. I really did feel that um, you could have done a little bit more, and Curtis Axel was actually picking up some steam. But to just sacrifice him to John Cena, eh, I think that that kind of did more harm than good. Now, the other exchange I want to acknowledge was the promo between Triple H and Booker T. Uh, a couple of reasons. Booker T's exchange uh, partially was, de- you know, this whole thing was done, obviously, to push Booker T's bio that was being shown on the network. But also to just drive home the fact that Triple H is the 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 beginning the middle and the end of WWE from a corporate standpoint and i think that again a very powerful promo good promo work from from the quote unquote authority and i really liked where they went with that i also felt that it really just showed the parallel between triple h the businessman and triple h the in ring competitor like i've like i've said even though sting and triple h isn't the match we wanted to see I do feel that it's a match we need to see strictly from a storytelling perspective. I think Triple H is going to try and go out of his way to to make Sting look good, obviously acknowledging Sting's pedigree and his contributions to the business. And they did a good job of that in this promo. I do feel that when this match does go down at WrestleMania, I think that it's going to surprise a lot of people because they're going to not only tell a good story, but it's also going to work twofold because it's going to show that, you know, the last the last standing, the last man standing from WCW could hold his own against the quote unquote king of kings. I think from a from a narrative perspective, from a storytelling perspective, there's there's a lot that can be done there. Um, like I said, Triple H exercising his power by firing Booker T and that entire chain of events was was very well done. It really worked because it showed that Triple H has transcended just being a wrestler like like he said in all his promos 
which again, there's there's definitely truth there. You know, he is WWE at this point, and I feel that that's going to be the major focus going into this match with Sting. And I think that the promos between uh, from both Stephanie and Triple H on Monday night were definitely some of the high points of the evening. We had our WWE Divas Championship rematch with Paige and Nikki Bella, which of course led to shenanigans, but it was New Jersey, so we got to see the return of AJ Lee, who of course is a native of Jersey. Um, AJ has been making quite a bit of news lately for her tweets directed at Stephanie McMahon, which may be real, may be fake. It depends on on who you ask and how you interpret it, but um, this is obviously leading to the inevitable tag team match at WrestleMania with Paige and AJ against the Bellas, because I sincerely doubt that they're going to defend the Divas title unless they do a Fatal 4-Way, which that could happen too, but more signs point to a Divas tag team match at WrestleMania instead of a championship match, but stranger things have happened. It was good to see AJ back. I think having her in there, bringing her her work rate and her, her presence adds a little bit more to the Divas division. I mean, Natalia has been embroiled with this quote unquote feud with Naomi and, um, you know, the whole total divas feuding going on, on that side of the, uh, of, of the bracket, so to speak for the divas division really kind of just opens the floodgates for Paige and AJ to actually do some, some decent wrestling with the Bellas. Again, at this point, if the belt's on Paige, the belt's on AJ, the belt's on Nikki, it doesn't even matter at this point because we're only getting three-minute matches anyway, and it's not enough time to even tell a cohesive, much less uh, much less a story that people would want to be invested in. All right, so Seth Rollins had his little exchange with Jon Stewart, which was actually pretty decent. I mean, I, I think Jon Stewart, uh, you know, being, being a knowledgeable wrestling fan, he added... Uh, some some a little bit of extra uh, you know a little bit of extra kick to that to that exchange obviously the the Randy Orton involvement which led to um you know Seth Rollins pretty much getting kicked in the nuts by Jon Stewart and the rationale by Orton about it was um was very well done a very easy out that not only made Rollins continue to look like a bad guy but also did a great job of of reminding fans that Randy Orton's loyalties lie to himself and not to the authority, a really good slow burn to the inevitable Randy Orton, you know, blow up where he's just going to kill Seth Rollins dead. And then they're going to face off at WrestleMania. Uh, The slow burn was good, but again, you're, you're, we're, we're acknowledging everything that was outside of the ring. Again, two strong promos, uh, one good segment with a non-wrestler, the wrestling overall for Monday night definitely was not uh, top of the food chain, to say the least. On the contrary, um, you know, it was. Um, I, I let me let me rephrase that. The wrestling what it's not that the wrestling wasn't there, but most of the wrestling was pretty basic and more from an angle advancement perspective. Even the Luke Harper Daniel Bryan match, which was uh, pretty good, but got a little sloppy towards the end, was really was really, really well done. The only thing that bothered me was that you're telling such a great story with this match and you're throwing fucking commercial breaks in between things. Um, you know, I, I just, that that bothers me. I hate when they do that. Um, we also had a, a Paul Heyman appearance. Again, 
just maximizing those dates that Brock Lesnar has left on his contract, which was fine. The uh, the Roman Reigns Seth Rollins match itself was was very good. I actually enjoyed more the, again the story that was being told there. Randy Orton getting involved, Rollins getting the victory. Um, but here's the thing: there in that match, a lot of people were saying, you know, the the these guys they work well together because of their past relationship. But even in that match, there were moments where Roman Reigns kind of felt like he didn't know where the fuck he was. And I say that not because of, of him being injured or something like that, just because it just felt the transitions from, from certain parts and, and just the way certain things were done. You can tell that Roman Reigns just still, there were moments where it's just like, yo, what the hell, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Like he just had a look of, of, yo, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do here. And that's not to say that he didn't. It's just the fact that the storytelling on the part of Roman Reigns just wasn't there. Rollins definitely did carry the bulk of that match. Uh, he really took a lot of really good spots. Uh, good good moments from, from Reigns, though, post-match. Uh, you know, the dive over the top rope, the spear to Kane, the spear in midair to Seth Rollins. All really, really good uh, good showings from Reigns from a, what was a, a rather lackluster edition of Raw was redeemed, like I said, by a couple of, of, of really, really strong segments that were non-wrestling related, which with a th- with which with a three hour show, it pains me to say is not what you want. Yes, you do want good segments. You want good promos. You want great exchanges. But in three hours, I shouldn't have to tell you guys about three great promos and one decent match. I should be able to tell you, hey, we had four good matches, three good promos, etc., etc. And that's just not the case. And like I said, we've moved past trying to sell WrestleMania as a $60 pay-per-view thanks to the, to the WWE Network. But that doesn't take away from the fact that in the old days, every episode of Wrong, every, every episode of Raw was not was exactly that. Well, it wasn't a, a a bad episode or it wasn't handled wrong leading up to WrestleMania. When you'd watch Raw from second week of January through February and March, there were very few instances where those episodes of Raw really delivered shitty programming. On the contrary, that was a buildup. That was the road to WrestleMania. So you knew that you were going to get either very good episodes of Raw or amazing episodes of Raw. This is not the case, and I think it's partially because they're they're lazy since they know that people are going to tune in due to the network. I mean, uh, Slick, Slick mentions in the chat, I thought the match did a good job of making Reigns look strong, which, of course, is the meme that has made its way through the internet community, and it's true. The match did a great job of making Reigns look strong, but it only did it because he was in there with a guy that could do that for him. If you would have put Roman Reigns in there with a Big Show or Kane or or Ryback or Eric Rowan, you know, guys who aren't known as 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 ring generals, you wouldn't have had the same result. You put Reigns in there with anybody else, you know, Dolph Ziggler, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, even 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 though it would probably never happen, you know, put him in there with a guy like CM Punk. You know what you're going to get. You're getting something that's going to at least look more believable than it is. This whole thing with Brock Lesnar is only going to work 
if you continue to quote unquote make Roman Reigns look strong. Simple as that. I did want to talk about NXT, but unfortunately I did not finish watching it. But I do want to talk about the week's wrestling news so we can wrap things up. Uh, First thing I do want to talk about is that I received a press release from WWE, which is very rare that I get those. Um, Stephanie McMahon and Paul Levesque, a.k.a. Triple H, and Robin Peterson were elected to WWE's board of directors. Now, you're probably asking yourself, Rich, why are you talking about this? Why why is this important? Obviously, from a storyline perspective, it means nothing since they're being already uh, booked as the, the, the owners of the WWE, but... The, the election of Stephanie McMahon and Triple H to the board of directors is very, very important. And the reason I say this is because when you look at this, it's, it's essentially a, a grooming process for them to take over the company when Vince, you know, when Vince passes away or when if Vince retires, which he never will. And you have to understand with WWE being a publicly traded company, the perception on Wall Street, which is a no brainer. Wall Street's going to look at it like, wow, this company's being run by an ex-wrestler with limited business management experience to be the CEO of a company. I mean, that's very, very huge. That's when it comes to the stock market, it comes to Wall Street, the the stock, get, you know, anything out of left field can can change a stock's entire outlook. Anything, uh, the health of a CEO, a faulty product, um, you know, some sort of a complaint, some sort of a recall, things like this matter. And the election of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon to WWE's board of directors is big for that reason, because Wall Street realizes, all right, these guys are in the board of directors. Vince is still running the show. He's still the man in charge. But at least at that point, it allows a guy like Triple H to really understand the inner workings of the company. And that in and of itself is 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 honestly what's best for business. Nobody wants to see you know a guy who's 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 been a wrestler transition to front office become the CEO of a company and not have some sort of experience with the ins and outs. And I think that Vince McMahon has done a tremendous job in grooming uh both Stephanie and Triple H for these roles in the future and the election to the board of directors is is definitely a step in the right direction. And like I said, NXT is a, is a great example that Triple H kind of knows what the fuck he's doing. I mean, for all the for all the shit that that we give him and all the stuff about him burying guys, it's it's one of those things where yes, he has his he has his detractors, he has his issues. I've never said Triple H was a saint, but I do have to acknowledge that certain aspects of the company have benefited more with him behind, working behind the scenes. So I got to give the devil his due. Simple as that. On the flip side, we've all been waiting for the inevitable announcement that Rey Mysterio is no longer with the WWE. Um, we did not get that announcement, but what we did see was Rey Mysterio's profile, his superstar profile was moved to the alumni section of the WWE. Um, the company just quietly moved him over to the alumni section. Uh, PW Insider reached out to confirm his status and WWE officially responded saying Rey Mysterio is no longer under contract with the WWE. Uh, because of this, obviously, Rey Mysterio, it's pretty much a no-brainer that he's either going to end up in AAA or Lucha Underground. And right now, I believe he's going to be working in AAA uh, alongside Alberto Del Rio and Mistesis, formerly 
uh, the original Sin Cara, but all signs point to us seeing Rey Mysterio on Lucha Underground as well. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for that. If you're a, a person who's a fan of Lucha Underground, you may be in for a treat if you get to see Rey Mysterio perform because I do feel that he still has something to offer the wrestling business. I mean, he's been hurt and had his just his career cut short due to you know, just some terrible knee injuries, but I do think Rey Mysterio still has something to offer this business, and I'm sure that, it. you know, Rey Mysterio's place in the WWE Hall of Fame is never in jeopardy. It just didn't work out. Rey Mysterio knew that his time was up and that he probably would never hold heavyweight gold ever again. I think it's a a parting that's mutually beneficial for everybody, and I also feel that if WWE were smart, they would work on building up Sin Cara um, and, you know, just the Lucha Dragons as a whole to, to move merchandise and have mass luchadors there and, and really go in that direction and just start creating a new landscape in a post Rey Mysterio WWE. Simple as that. I did, I did want to talk about, and, you know, if you guys were on our Facebook fan page, you saw me share the Muscle and Fitness cover of... Uh, Vince with Vince McMahon on it. I did read the article. It was a very good article. A lot of funny, funny lines there from Vince. Uh, Radar Online actually posted a, a follow-up with regards to that, and they said that um, Vince weighed 240 pounds and quote-unquote has 5% body fat and can bench 450 pounds. Uh, very, very impressive stats for the chairman of the board. Uh, definitely a guy who, who's, you know, dedication to, to the craft and to this, this business cannot be denied, but, uh, it's very crazy that Vince McMahon is 240 pounds, allegedly, uh, and has 5% body fat. The bet, the 450 bench press, you never know. Vince is a pretty big fucking dude. And I I'd be curious to see that. I honestly would, I would give anything to see like a, like a, like a YouTube video of Vince McMahon benching 450 pounds and, and legitimately, I mean, like I said, it's wrestling. Everything is fucking blown out of proportion. You know, 5% body fat. Uh, I The 5% body fat claim, in my opinion, is courtesy of Photoshop. I hate to say it, but it's true. And um, weighing 240 pounds, listen, you know, the, again, these are, these are, we're in, a, we're watching a, a product where guys have lifts in their boots and, you know, are, are build certain weights that they aren't build as normally, et cetera, et cetera. We know this shit. Um, the, the 450 pound bench press though, I I'd, I'd love to see that. I really would. I think, I think that number like the 5% body fat, the 240 pound weight, you know, the, the, the 240 pound weight, eh, but, but a, a 450 pound bench press from, from, you know, a guy who's a fucking senior citizen would definitely fucking be something that would get a lot of attention. Again, any of this stuff can be manufactured and you can always say, yeah, you know, he does this, he does that. But seeing it is definitely very, very interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen Mark Henry do some crazy stuff and there's been videos on YouTube where Mark Henry, like in the gym and, and doing strongman stuff and doing bench. But, you know, you're looking at Mark Henry. This guy's a massive human being. There's videos of Ryback doing some crazy shit too. And some of these other wrestlers and their training regimens. But, you know, you're talking about Vince McMahon. This is a guy who, you know, has always been like for, for an older guy, like if, if I were 60 years old, I'd want to be I'd want to be at least a fraction of what Vince McMahon is. So 
again, the 240 pounds, the 5% body fat, you know, it's questionable. That 450 pound bench press, though, need to see that. I'd give anything to see that. Anyway, so next week, WWE posted on Twitter that Wiz Khalifa will be guest starring and and hosting Raw next week, and he will also be performing live. There are many crickets for that. Many. There, there's not enough crickets that I can queue up for Wiz Khalifa performing at Raw this week. <laughs> I really don't give a shit. I really don't. But, hey, some some people do. Some people thought it was a big deal. They retweeted it enough times to really give a shit about it. So it is what it is. I did want to talk about a, a, a rumor that really has been picking up steam as of late. Um, a good friend of mine sent it to me, and then a couple of other sites were were reinforcing that. And it's a rumor that Samoa Joe is expected to sign with WWE sooner rather than later. Of course, we know that Samoa Joe made his return to Ring of Honor, and that return is going to be very, very limited from what's been said. Um, Samoa Joe, it's just a matter of financials, physical, and getting signed and reporting to NXT. Again, how true that is remains to be seen, but I think that the driving force in the signing of Samoa Joe is Triple H, who has been noted on numerous occasions for being a fan of Joe's work. I think uh, with a guy like Kevin Owens in NXT and Finn Balor and so many other great standouts, Samoa Joe would be a welcome addition, and I think he would do very, very well in a WWE atmosphere, it also helps that guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin and countless other veterans acknowledge that Samoa Joe is a natural fit. Another independent guy that's been talked about signing with WWE and is pretty much a, a lock at this point and is just a matter of him reporting to NXT is Uha Nation, who has already, from what's been reported, already signed and should be reporting to NXT within the next couple of weeks. As for when he'll be on TV, that's a that's a separate issue. But the signing of Wuhan Nation again, WWE doing uh, scouting the independents and trying to scoop up all the unique talent that's out there. Wuhan Nation is a good pickup. I mean, I was bummed when when the Willie Mac signing fell through, but Wuhan Nation signing with WWE definitely is interesting. That's for sure. Last bit of wrestling news. And and this this is real crazy because this has been talked about on and off for the last couple of years, and it involves um, Bill Demott. Many of you may know him as Hugh Morris, um, and the fact that there's been instances where he's been abusive to developmental trainees. Um, a guy who who formerly was a former WWE talent actually sent a letter, and the um, you know the the letter went to the Sports Courier, and they pretty much talked about Demott being physically. And verbally abusive, uh, just you know, saying saying terrible things to the wrestlers, etc., etc., etc. The wrestler alleged that Demont physically assaulted students, used racial and sexual slurs, and forced them to perform drills that were dangerous and led to several injuries. Now, the crazy thing about this is that you know a lot of a lot of wrestlers have come to Demont's defense, but others. You know, others have have said that it's legit. Uh, one guy, which was which actually acknowledged it, was Trent Beretta, who said it's about fucking time. Uh, other wrestlers that have been in the camp defending Demott, um, obviously Chris Jericho, 
and a couple of others, but then other independent talent, including Joey Ryan and a, and a few others, have said that a lot of the allegations are legit. Um, a very interesting thing that came out from that from that letter and and a second letter that also came out was a, um, a Bill Demott calling a student a pedophile and levying several homophobic slurs. When the student referred to his finisher as the Davy Boy. Demott allegedly replied the Davy Boy, what, turning blue and dropping dead on your lawn? Uh, the wrestler, of course, was released after with a severe spinal injury suffered during training. Again, very, very crazy stuff. Um, the, the one thing that, that, that's crazy is that a lot of the talent that's been acknowledging some of these allegations is talent that has, has been in developmental and has been at some point part of the WWE I mean, MVP acknowledged it on Twitter, as have, like I said, other standouts. Even Dolph Ziggler's brother, um, he, he said that the story was sad but extremely true. And he said, please share if you don't want your heroes abused and mistreated. And it's, it's not good when stuff like this gets out because obviously WWE hasn't exactly been having a week of great press. Um, it's interesting because they acknowledged, um, they acknowledged that stuff publicly. And they said WWE took the accusations made by Austin Maddelson very seriously and has conducted a full investigation and was unable to validate the claims. This was the statement they put out. Regardless, WWE continues to reinforce policies and procedures to enforce a positive training environment. Like I said, WWE has been accused. I mean, uh, Bill DeMott has been accused of this stuff in the past. Um, it's actually put one of the reasons why WWE developmental training sessions are taped because developmental talent really has complained quite a bit about Bill DeMott when WWE was partnered with deep South wrestling. Um, you know, that was, that was a big issue down there and he got cut loose when DSW closed and then he was brought back for tough enough in 2011 and he's remained as a coach and a trainer. But again, it's, it's not, not a good look when so many guys are out there acknowledging that this stuff goes down. So there you have it, guys. That is the week's wrestling news. I will say that um, the DeMott allegations, again, they're exactly that, allegations, but there's way too many guys out there acknowledging it. So, again, before you go out and you send the uh, the Fire Bill DeMott tweet, uh, the Fire Bill DeMott hashtag, just do yourself a favor. Make sure to check out some of the other wrestlers that have been acknowledging it. Because a lot of these guys are legitimate dudes that that really just have no reason to not back up some of these stories. And like I said, it's been a trend that we've seen on and off over the last couple of years. Like I said, going back to the DSW days in 2007. So hopefully WWE gets to the bottom of it and, you know, maybe either Bill DeMott gets addressed and handled or they got to get a new head trainer down there because they don't need this kind of press. This goes back to you know, hazing and stuff like that that's going that's going on in, in Major League Baseball in the NFL. Again, nobody wins in this situation, so, you know, they definitely got to try and get that taken care of. All right, so, as I said, that is going to wrap up the wrestling news for the evening and is actually going to wrap up the show as well. So, with that said, let's take it home, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio, episode 277, which aired live on Wednesday, March 4th, 2015. Uh, the next episode of My Take Radio is Thursday, that being today, March 5th, 
Uh, you can catch that at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. That is our gaming and entertainment edition. As always, you can find archived episodes of the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and you can use your favorite podcatcher app and look for My Take Radio there as well. But if you want the best My Take Radio experience, as always, pick up the official My Take Radio app. It's available for $1.99 for iOS, Android, and Windows mobile devices. For Android, you can find it in the Amazon Marketplace. For Windows Mobile, you can find it in the Windows Store. And of course, for iOS, you can find it on iTunes. We are still working on making the app free, but for the time being, it is $1.99, which is the lowest we can put that at. But again, definitely check it out. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, mobile wallpapers, and also exclusive access to all our other content before we release it to the general public. As for social media, you can find My Take Radio on Twitter at My Take Radio. You can also follow RageWorks on Twitter, Rage underscore Works. Uh, you can find both those brands on Facebook as well. Follow our boards on Pinterest if you're on Instagram. You can follow us there. It's RageWorks underscore Rich. We share a lot of a lot of different stuff there. If you're into Instagram, we are there. Uh, we do have a Tumblr account for My Take Radio, which we will be transitioning to RageWorks. Uh, you can find MTR Extras on Tumblr if you're a Tumblr user and follow us there. And of course, Google Plus as well. All right, guys, I will see you later today for episode 278 of My Take Radio as the march to MTR 300 continues. I'm out of here. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>